We want to open this episode with a warning. This episode could potentially be cursed. We don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're experiencing anything, any side effects, please let us know. We're just doing research. So some people have either turned it off or some people are like, tell me what's good. Tell me what's- Keep going. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect. I am that person in a scary movie who um, would walk towards the noise. Hey, welcome to this super spooky episode of Scary Stories That Scare Us, your favorite baddies with fatties and ADHD. (laughs) We're switching things up this time. I'm in your seat and you're in mine. Usually you're over here. Really? Yeah. You're over on on, on the side that I'm at. Yeah. No, I'm excited about this episode because this is how we came into our own as as a podcast. We really started around this time last year. This podcast is... Uh, it's over a year old, like by like a month, right? Yeah, I think we started in September last year. Happy pod birthday. Happy birthday, pod baby. (laughs) We are kind of enjoying the fall atmosphere as much as one can in Los Angeles. It's normally sunny and there's palm trees everywhere. What do you plan on doing like this season? Or is there there anything that you've already done that's kind of gotten you in the mood? Because I definitely have a very specific list of things that I do to kind of ring in autumn. First, I pull out a playlist that I created in, I want to say 2016. I never delete anything. I just add new ones on. You should link the that playlist. I should In actually. the description because I want to hear it. <laughs> it's so good. I go for like weird drives to nowhere and then- Can you pick me up for a weird drive? <laughs> I I love just driving around. <laughs> I, I would love to actually go, go on a lot of coffee runs and sit outside finally. So there's very specific things that I do to ring in the autumn season. Is there anything that you get into? I haven't been so great about it this year, but in the past, I was really in, into like the AMC Fear Fest when they would just show like oh, true. tons of scary movies. That has been on forever. Like that was sort of my part of my like horror movie education was just watching that every year. And they would do like a Halloween marathon, um, a child's play marathon, scream marathon. And that's like how I've seen so many of those. Yes. I feel like I always have to watch like Halloween. Like it's the quintessential. Always. Like the, the music and the sound effects. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the first Halloween specifically being, yes. being such the original. an iconic. It's such an iconic movie. And like, it's no better than anything else that came out around its time. Or I, I don't know what it is. It just hit all the right spots in the algorithm at the time. In the algorithm. Yeah. That's such like a <laughs> digital talk. <laughs> it was so good. And then also, you know, you have like your first Scream Queen that dominated a horror at the time. Or Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis. Jamie Queen. Lee Curtis. Yeah. All of these goofy tropes that we see in horror movies and slashers. I've heard people who maybe have seen a lot of newer movies go Mm -hmm. back and watch Halloween and be like, oh, it's such, it's just like everything I've seen before. It's got all this goofy stuff, like goofy tropes in it. Like that's where they all came from. And they all came from that because it worked and it was so scary. Mm -hmm. The fact that like they can't kill Michael Myers and like- Is at this point, it's genius. I've also been doing something that I haven't done in the past, but rewatching old Halloween episodes from like (gasps) shows that 
that I used to watch as Aww. a kid. The Halloween episode for Boy Meets World, I believe it's season three, episode eight. Don't quote me. I think you can probably quote Jake on that. Honestly, no, don't, he's no, no, the no. biggest Boy Meets World <laughs> expert. <laughs> it's one of the best episodes because it's not like super serious, but then it still somehow ties into like the overarching like. Boy Meets World story, but they play off of a Scream style slasher. I don't want to say the ending, you know, because I don't want to oh, spoil it yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's been yeah. out <laughs> but, for 24 you know, years. It's always one of the friends, right? That, <laughs> yeah. That is the masked character. One of the best. I always loved the Halloween episodes of TV shows. And it makes sense that I have a spooky podcast now because I was just like, man, I love when they drop the fun and get a little scary. I've also been watching, um, I was like just going through HBO and they have like little categories and they had like these really old Looney Tunes that predate even like the Bugs Bunny stuff. They'll either be really cute or there's just something really creepy about them. Like, <laughs> so I was watching those and then I was like, man, I wonder if like Scooby-Doo is on here. And they had the original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You episodes. Yeah. I didn't even know. I was so excited. It was like a land, not a landmine, a gold mine. <laughs> a gold mine. <laughs> it added value to HBO Max. Truly, <laughs> truly. No, they have like a lot of hidden gems for sure. Last night I watched a Halloween episode of Dexter's Laboratory. That was great. It was very dated. It was probably one of their first ones too. Oh my gosh. It's probably from like, what, 1996 or something? It had to be. <laughs> yeah, somewhere around there. Who was the, who was the devil? No, that was that was Powerpuff Girls. I was he him he, him. Yeah. Oh my gosh, him is kind of a fashion icon. Him scared me. Is him a they them? Him is one hundred percent they them. <laughs> one of the first, a trailblazer. <laughs> we we love them. We love them. Him is the reason why I remember so many little girls came to school and they were like, "My mom will not let me watch Powerpuff Girls anymore." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely hid those episodes from my family, but... Controversial. They were always my fave. Him brought a new level to yeah. Powerpuff Girls. Did you ever watch Cow and Chicken? They had, no, they that had, show is vile. <laughs> <laughs> they had their version of a hymn. You know? I know who you're... Oh my God, the butt is like yeah. in my head. It's so bubbly. I can't attach a face to it. <laughs> I just remember that fatty. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that devil had a, had a fatty. <laughs> no, it would be like super sweet. And then he would just get really angry. I need to, I need to find <gasps> oh, like a clip. You're bringing back like a burying memory for yeah. me. It says I scream on my truck, not ice cream. Get it? Cause I scream. Look at me. Hmm? Ah! Ooh, <laughs> screaming is my hobby. It's the pad itself for you, scream man. I needed to be banned from that one. <laughs> they were so rude. Oh my gosh. They were a little naughty. They were a little naughty. Nickelodeon and like Disney were very sanitized. Cartoon Network was kind of the wild west of like children's content. And then sometimes it was like, uh, what, what did the cow just do to the chicken? Yeah. <laughs> That's suggestive. I hate dressing up for Halloween as much as I love Halloween. And I know that that's very controversial, but if you knew my past, <laughs> you would understand. 
I don't know. I think I might have just had an idea for a Halloween costume. I, I think it might be the red guy. Oh, no. <laughs> you could Come just on. get like a red morph suit. Yeah. Or wear then, red latex. A red morph suit. Oh, Yes. Yeah, You're right. Red latex. But then, <laughs> then people might be like, are you Britney Spears? Oh my gosh. Yes. And so many people what do. What was that? Oops, That's, I did it again. Oops, I did it again, Britney. Yeah. Good job. I know. <laughs> I think in an episode last year around Halloween, you talked about not really being big on dressing up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it, it stands true. He's I've, consistent, everybody. <laughs> at least you know that. I've never really liked dressing up. I mean, I try, I will, but I'm definitely the last person to figure out what I'm going to wear. And then usually it boils down to me throwing together a basic t-shirt that the character that I'm trying to portray wore. I would wear a t-shirt that says, this is my Halloween costume. So lazy. I know. <laughs> and just like walk in with a PBR. Why don't you like do just some vampire fangs or something? Maybe. I could go as Lestat. I could go All as right. Lestat. You better show some respect if you're going to do oh, I Lestat. would. No, I think. <laughs> wait, yeah, yeah. Do you have a costume that you absolutely hated that you wore? I don't know. I feel like I like really shine on Halloween. I Even like as a kid? I went to like private Christian school, so I couldn't really participate that much, even though we would do all the things that we do for Halloween, but just call it like harvest, harvest or something, yeah. which is yeah. so creepy, but we'd still get to dress up and it just was like, don't call it Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> we had to, we had to dress as like Bible characters. Boo. And, yeah. I think I did like a Moses one time. I had a friend that was like, who was the one that was in a tree? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. How did he do that? I don't know. He's a wee little man. Yeah, he, he was, he was small. <laughs> Short uh, king. <laughs> There was one time we, we did like homeless, we did hobos. What? Like hobo, hobos and bag ladies. Yeah, that was like a theme. <laughs> That's problematic. You heard it here first. Jake is canceled. No. <laughs> I was seven. <laughs> the women had to do bag ladies because yeah. they're, they're ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and then the hobos were for the boys. Gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. So I dressed up as a hobo, a homeless man. And that picture's online somewhere. I'll have to I, show you. you. Please show me. I think I had one of those sticks with a <laughs> handkerchief. It held my baggage or like my clothing. I know it. So exactly. I would carry that around. But when have you ever seen anyone use that Only mechanism? in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I 100% would play that game when I was like little where I would try to make a stick and then tie some sort of cloth at the end with a bunch of junk in it. It would be like a Barbie and like maybe <laughs> like some crackers my mom gave me and then <laughs> pretended I was going to go live in the woods by myself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I never threatened to run away from home, but if I did... I would have a stick with a pouch on it. I'm leaving. Think of how I'm leaving. <laughs> no, no one would take me seriously. I had a weird dream the other day mm -hmm. about like, I was the only one in Disneyland and it was kind of scary. But then I started to think about like what I would do if I were the only one in Disneyland. And I've seen this on YouTube a couple of times. I don't know if anyone's done it successfully or they've tried yeah. to hide in like Disneyland or Disney World until after closing 
So they could like run around the park, like without any one there and just kind of get into Uh. what they want. I know. I don't think anyone's been able to do it, but it did make me wonder, like, what would you do if you were like locked in Disneyland or just like there alone? Yeah. First of all, that's really creepy. I would never (laughs) stay in Disneyland past the hours that they've allotted because (laughs) those things come alive at night. And I guarantee you. I think so too. Absolutely. I remember a very particular story. I was, I went to Disneyland with a few friends. They have a lot of like the original rides that they had when the park opened. And one of the last rides that Walt Disney helped build was I think the Peter Pan ride and you're basically in this boat you you travel through like the pirate section and you see skulls and you see like knives and like all sorts of like creepy like pirate stuff. Uh, We had a guide at the time and the guide was like legend has it that the skulls there in the corner are actually real human skulls and it cursed this entire ride. That was enough for me to be like no there's way too much history here for it not to be kind of haunted. Not to like pivot from what you said, Mm. but I think that like the same thing happened on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. I think they had like real skeletons on there. At least when it opened in like 1967, all of the skeletons in the attraction were real human bones. Why does that happen? That that happens. That's happened several times within like movie sets and this, and it's never a good time. It was cheaper to get those than it was to get like fabricated bones at the time. Do they not think that wouldn't cause some kind of bad juju? Like I have no idea. I personally would never okay that if I were in charge. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So we don't want to be locked in Disneyland in the middle of the night. Is there anything that you like cute that you think you could do or do you think it would just be mostly scary? I think I'd be mostly terrified. I don't think that I would go to sleep. Apparently, there's a legend about Space Mountain and they call it the legend of Space Mountain's Mr. One Way. And I just looked it up. He's described as a a large man with red hair and a red face. And the legend is that he sits in the seat next to single riders. Then he disappears by the end of the ride. He's also been spotted in the cast member's locker room as well. So What? Wait, what What does he look like again? A large man with red hair and a red face. <gasps> Should we go to Disneyland and stand in the single rider queue so we could see if either of us can sit next to him? I'm into that during, during Disney during, hours. Yeah, absolutely. I'm... I'm too much of a rule follower. I would never get locked in Disneyland anyways. That's why this was a weird dream for me. What are we talking about? We're talking, we're going way out west. Oh, take Which is actually east for us because we are the westiest. (laughs) Talking about the Skinwalker Ranch. And the reason why I think this episode could be cursed is because apparently they can haunt you. (laughs) The reason why... Jake brings that up because I was going to talk about the creature that it's named after. And then I got like a headache and they said not to talk about it. The Navajo tribe is like, you you shouldn't talk about it. They recommend against it. They recommend against it because then it can haunt you. I don't know. I don't think it'll get you by listening to it. You You do have a point though, because from what I was researching, while community healers and cultural 
workers are known as medicine men and women or by other positive nurturing terms in the local indigenous language, witches are seen as evil, performing twisted ceremonies and manipulating magic in a perversion of the good works medicine people traditionally perform. They definitely believe that this is a dark force and they don't like to really discuss it. So we started really diving into the Skinwalker Ranch and we realized that there's so much more to this than just like the Skinwalkers. There's a ton of UFO sightings that have been happening for nearly 30 years. And it all started with the Sherman family. The Shermans bought it in 1996. Shermans owned a 480-acre ranch, and it was said to be the hotbed for UFOs and bizarre paranormal activity. The weirdness that even the Shermans, who've witnessed the strange happenings with their own eyes and video camera, have trouble accepting as reality. So they really came into this thing completely unknowing that this was going to be something that they would see any of these paranormal activity or creatures these skinwalkers as they learned. So in 1996, I actually stumbled across this article that was written in 1996. This is around the same time that you had Independence Day coming out. People were definitely less accepting of UFOs being an actual conversation. They kind of brushed it off. Basically, they interviewed this guy named Terry Sherman. And Terry said for a long time, him and his family, they were just trying to figure out what they were seeing. They had no idea what was going on. They kind of felt like they were stumbling into something that was like top secret. So he definitely was reluctant to share a lot of this information with the public at the time. But once he started getting like video footage of the sightings that he would see, he just started bringing it to the public. The Shermans claimed to see three types of UFO figures over a course of 15 months. There was three kinds. There was one was a a small box shaped craft with a white light, a 40 foot long object that was in the sky. And then they also saw one, he claimed that it was a huge ship size in the sky and he measured it out to be like several football fields long in the sky. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that'd be enough for me to leave. They also witnessed uh, one craft that emitted a wavy red ray or a light beam as it flew across the sky. He also witnessed other airborne lights, some of which have emerged from orange circle doorways that seem to appear in midair. He witnessed a ton of crop circles across the ranch. They did get two videotape sightings of this. Overall, they didn't really have a ton of information to go off of for people to be like, oh, they're telling the truth. One night, a flying light followed Gwen Sherman, which is the wife, followed her home. And then on another, while Terry Sherman was out in the fields with the family dog, he heard male voices speaking in unfamiliar language. And they seemed to be speaking about 25 feet above him. And his dog started to go crazy. They started barking. There was also another point where Terry and his son believed that they may have communicated with one of the craft. As they traveled west on the ranch road one evening, they saw a lighted object duck behind the rock ridge as if they were trying to avoid him. Moments later, they managed to sneak up on the object. Before it could hide again, they stood and waved their arms at it. (laughs) (laughs) And then immediately the light flashed on and off three times as if to signal them and like they saw them and then it disappeared. Okay, 
it's kind of cute when you think about it. (laughs) Right. I remember a very specific time me and my dad were sitting out in, I grew up in the country. We were sitting out in his truck, strong believer of UFOs and aliens. He's like, UFOs are out there, Jake. And I was like, oh yeah. And he goes, yeah, like, (laughs) oh yeah, like, like that in the sky over there. And it was a, a, a white light, a very, very bright white light. And he goes, oh, look, there's like another light right there in the sky, like right to the right of it was another one. And as soon as he said that, they disappeared what? out of the sky. That's wild. Like they almost like it was listening or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, after several sightings, the Shermans found one of their cows dead on the ranch. It had a hole cut strategically around its eyeball and there was no trace of blood. I know. I don't really understand how to explain that other than somebody going in with like an X-Acto knife and then just like cutting around this cow's face. What's crazy to me is there was no trace of blood. There was no evidence of an animal attack. There was no tire marks. But what they did notice was a very strong chemical smell around the animal. Terry Sherman was almost like unfazed at this point, but he was like, we've seen the UFOs enough and we're pretty sure that it's definitely associated with the cattle mutilations. According to Terry, a lot of the ranchers around the area had tried contacting authorities, but there wasn't anything they could do. So they just went really quiet and just acted like nothing happened. The cops are like, okay, it's fine, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So this had happened for about 15 months. And when they thought that they had had enough, Terry had encountered what he believed to be a skinwalker. And that was kind of what was the last straw for them. He Mm -hmm. reported seeing a wolf that was three times bigger than a normal sized wolf when he was walking his dog. He got pretty terrified. So he pulls out his gun and he shoots him at close range three times. And the wolf just kind of looked at him and was completely unfazed. So immediately after that, they packed their stuff up. They put it on the market and they sold it. Three months later, they sold it to a guy named Robert Bigelow. And he was a UFO enthusiast at the time and also a real estate agent based in Las Vegas. They sold it for $200,000 and then they bounced. They said they did not want that. And you know what I was, you know what I'm thinking? If this creature that they saw, like this wolf that's three times bigger than a normal wolf, Mm. That's like the size of like a horse yeah, or something like that's huge. I think that whenever people think of a wolf, they just like think of a husky or something. Right. And a lot of times they're big or like if you're in LA, like, you know, a coyote is small, mm-hmm. but like a wolf that is terrifying. Like they obviously wanted to get out of there if they sold an entire ranch for $200,000 to like a real estate mogul. Yeah, you could have gotten so much more. Wait, that actually puts things into perspective for me too. Because if I saw a, a coyote the size of a horse, I'm done. I'm moving yeah, out of the state. Out by <laughs> yeah. So I guess Robert Bigelow, he had had he had the ranch for several years, actually up until 2016. And then Brandon Fogel, this guy named Brandon Fogel, he bought the land. He was a skeptic, but he teamed up with a group of scientists to see if the legends were true. The scientists kind of laughed. They disclosed that the ranch had been a part of a five-year Pentagon black budget program studying the UFO phenomenon and that 
although the results of that investigation remain classified and confidential, that the phenomenon was actually real. So there's definitely been a lot of studies. And at this point, there are so many surveillance cameras and just different equipment that are set up around the Skinwalker Ranch to make sure that they find these UFO sightings. Actually, recently, History Channel covered the Skinwalker Ranch and revealed some of the UFO footage. Uh, and they, they found a video. I just watched a video of a cow that was relaxing under a tree, just chilling. And then one second he's there. And then the next second he pops his head up like he notices something. And in the frame in the sky is this like saucer shaped object in the air. The moment that the cow pops his head up, the saucer shape moves to the other side of the screen just super fast. You don't even see the movement, but it just pops over to the next side. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know that TikTok sound where it's like, I love you, but I ain't staying here. <laughs> yeah. Brandon Fugel was pretty skeptical up until like the point of, I think about six months in, he actually saw an encounter himself. He had several multiple witnesses with him at the occasion, but he saw what he could only be described as a UFO. This craft, it was about 40 to 50 feet long. It was a silver disc covering right over the mesa. He said, this wasn't just a blinking light in the sky or something that was a little bit ambiguous. This was a solid object that appeared out of nowhere, could move in the blink of an eye, and over a 20-second period perform maneuvers that I believe defy any propulsion physics that we're acquainted with. My part of it sort of like expands a little more on um, Robert Bigelow's time with the ranch. Mm. The gentleman who bought it after the Shermans were like, get it off our hands. We don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. One night, uh, it's March in 1997, after the ranch has been sold to Robert Bigelow for $200,000. <laughs> he got a real steal on it. <laughs> yep. um, and his... National Institute for Discovery Science, which is the acronym is NIDS. He leads this investigation of the Skinwalker Ranch. And there's a scientist there whose name is Colm Keller. Colm looks up at this large, at this tree when he's researching with his team one night. And they see a large humanoid figure with yellow eyes watching them. Oh. Uh, he shoots at it and then it disappears. But Keller spotted a strange print that almost looked like a giant raptor footprint in the snow under that tree. And then looping back to that, there is a December 2017 New York Times article titled glowing auras and black money, the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. This reveals that the Defense Department had spent 22 million of its annual 600 billion budget on the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, an unclassified and unpublicized investigation force that was run inside the Pentagon by the intelligence operative, Luis Elizondo. This is the black budget program that you were talking about, I believe. They spent 22 million? 22 million on it. The investigation was kickstarted by Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, and he enlisted Bigelow as the primary contractor, a private citizen. Interesting. The program's purpose was to study reports of UFOs. And that begins in 2007. It's run from the Pentagon. 
but most of the money went to Bigelow Aerospace, which is Robert Bigelow's space technology company. Mm. According to Reed, though, the officials from the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, became interested in starting the program after visiting Bigelow's Utah ranch. AATIP, that program that the Pentagon was funding, ended in 2012, but Reed argued that the program had made enough discoveries that it required heightened security to protect it. Reed requested this extra security, but his request was denied, and eventually the program was broken up. Many of the professionals, though, at AATIP joined the Aerospace Science Division of To The Stars Academy, a public benefit corporation co-founded by Tom DeLonge. My boy. The guitarist of Blink-182. Yep, it's that Tom DeLonge (laughs) is associated with this program from the Pentagon. Wow. Everyone thought he was crazy. He knows what he's talking about. Nope. They're still doing these research reports on UFOs. That's incredible. It's pretty legit. He knows what he's talking about. And also, I think he knows pretty much more than anybody, maybe more just as much as the Pentagon about aliens or any of these sightings. Like he's legitimately that that like caught up on it. I mean, the fact that the Pentagon just in 2007 went to this guy who owns this ranch, this $200,000 ranch, (laughs) and they're like, help us investigate UFOs. And then whenever the public asks the government about that, they're like, we don't know nothing about that. But they're going to this random guy and they're like, here's his money. Help us figure it out. And then Tom DeLong is like, you know what? Um, I don't have anything to do right now. Blink-182 is not a thing at, <laughs> at the moment. I am going to do UFO research. Right. And now we all believe in UFOs because of of Tom DeLong and his team. That's that's the the short answer, pretty much. (laughs) 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 I'll get back into like some UFO stuff in a second, but I've seen some mention of this before, the possibility of an interdimensional portal. On on the ranch? On the ranch. There's some evidence to support the theory that Skinwalker Ranch's unusual incidents are due to it hosting a portal between dimensions. Some folks claim that they've seen bright orange or blue lights in the night that flash. Hmm. They're said to last around 10 seconds and can be viewed a thousand feet into the air. And the idea is that these creatures and spaceships enter and leave via these connection points from and into a parallel universe or alternate reality, a plane of existence that exists adjacent to ours, but for some reason connects to ours only occasionally and only in like night skies on this ranch in Northeast Utah. I I can't really fathom like another dimension, but I'm just going to say that I believe. (laughs) I feel like the fact that the government has kind of like let these UFO reports pass, Mm -hmm. I feel like they've kind of been warming us up to it lately because they haven't denied as hard as they used to. And I'm wondering if that is more palatable and digestible for us as a public to be like, oh yeah, there's unidentified flying objects, which can just be anything essentially, but they might be there on Skinwalker Ranch investigating these portals, which is way more crazy. 
than some lights in the sky. It's a distraction. (laughs) If any of this stuff is real, the government clearly doesn't know what to do with it. So they're hiding it for themselves. Joseph Jr. Hicks um, is a high school teacher turned paranormal investigator. He investigated, investigated over 400 reports of UFOs in the that basin area where mm-hmm. Skinwalker Ranch is between the 50s and the 90s and estimates that over 10% of the population in the basin area has seen something. Fort Duchesne is a few miles northeast of the ranch. It is the headquarters of the Northern Ute tribe. Uh, in 2012, Corey Sarawap was working as a house manager at an addiction treatment center on the reservation around 6 a.m. on a Sunday in February. Corey was doing rounds when he noticed the televisions losing their signal. And then suddenly the lights went off. Oh man, the mothership is here. He joked to the center's other employees and clients. Everyone then saw red, blue, and green lights outside. Sarawap assumed they were from a passing emergency vehicle and opened the door to investigate. He quickly discovered that the lights were originating not at ground level, but above the building he just exited. He and a female client walked to a basketball court about 25 feet away from the building, looked up and saw a craft. There was no noise. It was quiet and it had lights coming off it and they were flashing blue, red and green, he said. As he moved to get a better look, the light turned red and so bright, he and the woman had to put up their hands to see. Sarah Wap describes the craft as dark gray and about the size of a small plane, but enshrouded by a cloud that formed around it. Hey, that's a UFO. (laughs) (laughs) He remembers telling the woman, the experience excited him, he said. (laughs) Very, I like how optimistic he is about this. (laughs) Something in his head told him he shouldn't be seeing this and that he should go back inside, which he did. He told everyone in the building what he had seen and walked to the other side to get another look at the UFO. The voice returned though and told him that he shouldn't be doing this because he'd miss his family. Sarawap is unsure whether it was his own thoughts or if there was something inside the craft that was communicating with him via his mind. Mm. Whatever the case, Sarawap was spooked and remained in the building with the doors locked. When he later went to record his rounds, he noticed that during what seemed like a few minutes he spent investigating the UFO, 30 to 45 minutes had vanished. The electric company said that the power loss was caused by a blown transformer, but Sarah Wap talked to a lot of other people who lived in the area. Many of them saw not one, but two UFOs that morning. Mm-mm. One passed over his uncle's house, causing a vibration that made everyone in the house feel sick. And his uncle described the craft as looking the same as the one Sarawap saw, but with the crackling electricity at the center. Aliens being able to communicate telepathically is something that I never really learned about until recently, which makes me feel like they aren't like us. Like it's a totally different level of consciousness. Unsolved Mysteries, I think is the first season on Netflix, the alien episode. Mm. So freaking good probably one of the most convincing pieces of media I've ever seen about UFOs and extraterrestrial stuff. This 
son, the mom, and the grandmother, they were all in this car together. They claimed to have been abducted. They all kind of talk about their experience with it. And they said that the way it happened that went wrong was that they had swapped the mom and grandma where they were sitting in the car whenever they put them back. What? And like the grandma was in the driver's seat and grandma never drove. Like mom drove everyone around. And then they were like, oops. And they they put them back wrong. Nope. Yep. They They made a goof. They goofed. They goofed. (laughs) I want to visit Skinwalker Ranch now. Count me out. (laughs) Our boy. Post Malone. You pointed this out earlier. But Posty. He, Posty. He, he visited Skinwalker Ranch. Seems like he had a good time. He's also hanging out with uh, Brandon Fugel. He's really enjoying. He's loving. His, he's getting some some clout. He's loving the limelight. This man knows some things. Brandon Fugel, let's talk. <laughs> Come sit down on the podcast. Yeah. We'll help you make a TikTok. It'll, it'll absolutely go viral. Like you, you don't even need any help. Well, cool. Hopefully everybody's made it to the end of this episode and no one has been abducted or (laughs) witnessed any paranormal sightings. But if you have, please let us know at Scary Stories That Scare Us on Instagram. You can find Jake on Instagram at Jake Trevino. And you can find Olivia Brody at Olivia Brody on Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to follow and rate our podcast. Give us five stars, please. We are really happy to be back sharing the autumn season with you guys. So appreciate the time. Bye-bye, Bye-bye, Booze. Bye-bye, Booze.